glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Acts chapter 19, verse 8. He went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and chief of the priests which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, And Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus and fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Very unique text of scripture. I remember uh, hearing stories and hearing an account or two of people, we'll use this term, getting right with God meaning seeing things in their life as believers that they recognize to be sin, to be evil in the sight of God, purging their life of that because God had moved and dealt with their hearts. We see that here. I've heard of CD burnings, album burnings. Today, I guess you'd have to have MP3 player or pod, you know, whatever iPod burnings or cell phone burnings. I don't know what you'd have today because everything's in digital format. But the fact of the matter is... Uh, when God moves, it has a, a direct effect on our decisions in our life. And as I said, it's a unique text, but it all centers around the Word of God. It all centers around the truth and how the truth was being responded to uh, here in this place at this time, uh, this being at Ephesus. And so uh, Paul is there. He stays in Ephesus longer than he did in most places because God kept a door open. It was a unique time. But we're going to break this into three parts. And prayerfully, as I said, the Lord will give us some things and apply them uh, to us personally and I, uh, as we go through it. And we start with the preaching of the truth. And Paul is doing what Paul always did. But this is not always the kind of response he got. This is a, a unique text of Scripture in the book of Acts. And so here he is in Ephesus. And the Bible says in verse 8, and he went into the synagogue. That's what he often did. He would go to the places where people were already familiar with the truth of God's word. That's where Paul would start. He went to the Jew first, and then he would go to the Greeks. That was his pattern of ministry. So he went into the synagogue and spake how? Boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things 
concerning the kingdom of God. In essence, he went in there, he would open up the scriptures and declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords, and that they had a responsibility to believe on him. That's what Paul always preached. And it says, but in verse 9, but when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus, and this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. That's a profound statement. You remember in Acts 16, Paul had asked permission to go into Asia? In essence, he asked permission by assaying to go, and God said what? He said, you're not going. Then he asked, he tried to go into Bithynia, and God shut the door, and then God led him into Macedonia. Here we are three chapters later, and where is he? He's in Asia. I believe uh, those that are of the Calvinist persuasion, they look at Acts 16 and say, see, there are some places you shouldn't carry the gospel because God has not ordained them to eternal life. No, that's not the truth. It was a timing issue. It was time to go to Macedonia, and it would later be time to go to Asia, and they did, as we very well know in Scripture. Seven churches were birthed out of there. We know that for sure because they're written to in Revelation 2 and 3. But Paul's just doing here what Paul did every place. He's preaching the truth. I can't help but believe that part of the reason he continued so long in this city was the level of opposition he must have received. The Bible says for three months he disputes and persuades concerning the kingdom of God in, uh, the, the, uh, in the synagogue. So he's disputing and persuading, meaning he is disagreeing. He is saying, no, what you believe is not right here, and it's not right here because this is what the Scripture says. This is what you need to believe. So he's disputing. He is standing up against error, and he is proclaiming truth, disputing and persuading. By the way, that's part of what preaching does. It disputes wrong ideology in the minds of people and persuades them of the truth. Preaching is not always a comfortable situation. It's not for the preacher or for the hearer. Do you think it was comfortable to sit in the synagogue and Paul tell you that your belief system is not in line with the Word of God? That's what it means to dispute. (laughs) He was not contentious, but he's disputing. I believe this, and I just want to kind of reiterate some things that I believe have to be deep in the heart of a preacher of God's word is sometimes if we're going to proclaim the word of God boldly, there's a dispute taking place between pulpit and pew. It's not popular, but it's true. Because sometimes people get ideas that are wrong. This is a synagogue. This is a religious house. This is a place where they knew what the Bible said, at least the Bible they had. They were familiar with the law of Moses. They were familiar with the prophets. But Paul came in and disputed and persuaded for three months uh, concerning the kingdom of God. Verse 9 says, but when divers were what? Hardened. Meaning when they'd heard the truth and heard the truth and heard the truth and were not going to change their mind, they hardened. Uh, the Bible says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. When we harden against something, we get the idea that we're going to oppose it to the point of making it go away. I think those who were hardened, as I understand the context of this, were of the persuasion if we stand up against this and we come and we cause this old man, this, this Paul guy some problems, he'll go away. 
So well, here's how Paul responds. So there was the preaching boldly. It was done. It was done with boldness. It was done in a form of, uh, of persuasion and disputation. And again, we don't mean disputing in the sense of being contentious, but contending for the truth. And so then, verse 9, when divers were hardened, here's the response. Divers means some of them. There were diverse people who said, we don't like this. We don't agree. We're not in agreement with what's being preached and taught. So then he said, they believed not. That's why they hardened, but spake evil of that way before the multitude. Paul says it's time to change. It's time to do something different. And then the Bible says he departed from them. When they said, we don't want this, he says, okay, then I'll leave. And he went somewhere else and preached the same thing. He went into the school of Tyrannus, but the Bible says he departed from them. I found this very interesting and separated the disciples. You know what that tells me? While he was disputing and persuading, there were those who said, we don't believe, but there were those who said, we do. Preaching produces disciples. Preaching produces people who will be loyal to the word of God. It produces people who won't. The preaching of God's word produces two classes of people, believers and unbelievers. Said there's a danger of sitting under the preaching of the truth. You're then responsible to respond. When the word of God is proclaimed, we have to respond to what it says. And so then Paul preaches the truth. There were those who did not believe, therefore they hardened, meaning the more it preached, the less effect it had on them. Can I say something? I believe I need to say this. If you can sit under the preaching of God's word and it have little effect on conscience or spirit, you are in grave trouble. Grave trouble. If you have become so accustomed to resisting the word of God that you can hear it and it not prick the conscience and move the will, that's dangerous. These disputed, or these hardened, and when Paul saw the hardening and that the way of God was being evil spoken of, he said, okay, you that believe, let's move you out of this environment. This is no longer the place, and he separated the disciples. You want a good picture of church membership. He said, there are those who believe, and there are those who don't believe. If you're believers, you come over here. We're going to continue your instruction. And the Bible says in verse 10, and this continued, uh, excuse me, back to verse 9, he departed from them and separated the disciples. What is a church, by the way? What assembly? Called out. It's a separated people unto God. Separated by their personal faith in the word of God. So he separated the disciples uh, from among this crowd of people. A church and a crowd are not the same thing. So he separated them out. And then the Bible says disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. So he moved venues, but he kept preaching. He pulled out of the synagogue, went to the school of Tyrannus, and continued to preach so that I believe Paul was being wise as a serpent, Harmless as a dove. He's got people speaking evil of the way, but he's got disciples. So he pulls the disciples aside, separates them. Verse 10. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Paul continued to preach and people continued to come until both Jews and Gentiles throughout the entire region of Asia had heard the preaching of the gospel. Now, I'm just simple enough to believe it says all of them had heard that they'd all heard. He says, that is physically impossible. Whether he's speaking, it just it means they all heard. <laughs> Paul kept persisting and preaching. You know, I would love to get to the place where every person in Boundary County has heard the gospel. Every one. Now, how does that happen? This is rocket science. Just keep doing it. And you keep doing it. And when people harden, you move away from them, and you keep preaching where there's an open door. 
That's, I think there's just some great practical lessons for us there. You keep passing out tracts. You keep witnessing. We keep preaching on the radio. We keep preaching in the, in the church house on Sunday. You keep preaching to your co-workers until by and by people have heard the gospel. I believe, by the way, this county, praise God, has been saturated with the gospel. And he's continue to be. But my point is this. Paul just kept doing what God put him there to do, even in the face of opposition. By the way, nothing is discouraging or can be discouraging to a preacher as people hardening against the word of God. And that can be a discouraging thing. You know what I find Paul doing? He just kept doing what God put him there to do. Now we find this is where this message gets interesting. When uh, God blessed Paul because he was an apostle uh, with some special power to do miracles. So verse 11, the Bible says, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. God is confirming through miracles. That's how God used miracles at this season of time to confirm the word. You can read in Hebrews chapter 1. He confirmed the word by signs and wonders. Mark chapter 16 says the same thing that he gave the word and what God would do in the early days of the preaching of the message of the gospel when it was still fresh and new and people weren't sure if these were a bunch of wing nuts making a message up or was this from God. God gave special miracles, especially the apostles not only did miracles, but they especially had miracle power that others did not. Acts makes that clear in Acts chapter 2 and 5 and some other places. So here Paul, the Bible says, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Before I move on, let me just note that. It's that same wording again. It doesn't say, and Paul wrought special miracles for God. It says, God wrought special miracles. I've circled it in my Bible. By the hands of Paul. Meaning God was the one working. He gave Paul his, his, his power and ability to do things that Paul and his natural ability could not have. Verse 12, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. So if it actually came from the Apostle Paul, this is where you get these wingnut ministries today on TBN that say you send us 1495 gift or a donation of any size, we'll send you a prayer handkerchief. I wish that, I wish that was not true, but they do that. I remember a man would, he did it all the time. He got prayer soap and prayer rugs and he, they never did him any good, by the way. This is where they get it from though. You know what they were doing? You know what there's people doing today what the sons of Sceva did then? They are fraudulently counterfeiting the work of God when they don't have the power of God. Nonetheless, this is what happened. Uh, from his body were brought handkerchiefs or aprons. And when it would be brought from the Apostle Paul, someone could have that, it would heal their disease. Or if they had a, dem- a demon or a devil, it would depart because God had, had endowed the Apostle Paul with that power for this purpose, to confirm that the message that had been rejected by these that were hardened and believed by these that were softened was the Word of God. He's confirming Paul is truly my servant and what he's preaching is my Word. May I say this, a man's preaching, it doesn't matter how the style is, it doesn't matter how persuasive he may be, if, if he is, number one, not ordained of God to do so, if he's not called of God to do so, and I understand there's a preaching we're all called to do, uh, but there's, there are gifts of preaching and teaching, and I believe there are gifts and there's callings, by the way. So we don't take that upon ourselves, but if it is of God, and God gives the ability to do it, and the Word of God is preached, that's what matters. It's not the personality nor the style, and we understand that. But here, here is Paul, and God had endowed upon him the power to perform miracles, to heal and cast out devils as an apostle, even so much that handkerchiefs, it says of Peter back in Acts, that if the shadow of Peter passed over people, they would be healed. 
You know what God's saying is, my hand is on that man in a very special way. And I don't believe that God's hand is, by the way, of apostolic gifts on any man today. We don't need apostles today. We have the Bible. But we do have pastors and teachers and evangelists who are called to the work of the preaching ministry and so forth. And so here's uh, Paul. He's doing these miracles. And what takes place here reminds us to some degree of what took place in Acts 8 with Simon who tried to duplicate or tried to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit so that he could lay hands on people and they could receive the Holy Spirit. There are always those who see the attention of the work of the Word of God and the power of God on the life of a person, they say, I want that too. I want to be like that. Simon saw uh, the apostles, uh, Peter and John, come from Jerusalem, lay hands on the believers in Samaria. By the way, Philip preached the gospel and they got saved. Why didn't Philip just lay hands on them and give them the Holy Ghost? Because Philip was not an apostle and he wasn't authorized to do that. But when Simon saw it and he saw that the apostles had the power to touch someone and they received the Holy Spirit, he said, what's it going to cost me for me to be able to do that? Because Simon's history was he was a a magician. If you was a a devil's man prior, he was popular in the town till Philip showed up. And he said, I want to be important again as well. And I'll pay money if I can do what they're doing. How can I buy into this thing so that I can have what the apostles have? Same thing's taking place here. God has blessed Paul in a very unique way for the purpose of confirming the work of the gospel and the word of truth that he's preaching. And so then, verse 13 brings us into the perversion of truth. We've seen the preaching of truth. It is preached boldly. It was preached consistently. It was preached uh, with God blessing it with uh, with confirmation, if you would. Then verse 13, we see the perversion of the truth. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? The man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. You see an utter failure on part of these men trying to replicate Paul's ministry. The words that are used here in verse 13, I looked at the word vagabond, it means a wanderer. Someone who vacillates. A wanderer, a vagabond Jew. So he had a Jewish background. His, his, uh, his genealogy, he's Jewish. That's what's in his blood. That's his religion. But he's a wanderer. He's not settled on anything. He's a double-minded person. Again, it means to wander, to vacillate. Preached a few weeks ago on the wanderer, the person that wanders here and there, doesn't settle. Wanders like the bird from her nest or like the swallow. There are people living their lives like that. They're not settled on the truth. They're not aiming at pleasing God. They're just drifting here, there, and there. And I believe these wandering or vagabond Jews said, Hey, look at this. Their daddy was a high priest. He was right there in the thick of the Jewish religion. I don't know if he was one that was hardened or not. But the fact is they have a religious surrounding. And I can't help but think that they they had a... a a mindset of being able to do what Paul had done. We want to do this as well. And the end result, I believe the goal would be to discredit the truth. You remember when uh, the magicians duplicated the miracles of Moses? When someone who doesn't know God can do what someone that does know God can do, you know what it does? It discredits the gospel, discredits the truth. Here, Can I give an example? You go to witness to someone and they are... Um, they, I, I heard a recent illustration. There was a woman 
and she wanted her husband to get saved. And when the preacher came to visit with him, he pleaded with him to be saved. He said, I don't need to be. I'm as good as my wife. She's a Christian, but I live as good a life as she does. I'm as moral as the next guy. What he was saying is, I can produce the same life she does. Whatever she has is no better than what I have because I'm able to produce the same thing she does. I produce as moral of a life as she does. I produce as good of a life as she does. And so when Satan can counterfeit the work of God, it discredits and devalues the truth. It makes what we're preaching and teaching and living look like a fairy tale. When Satan can duplicate church and counterfeit church, it makes church look like the creation of man instead of God. When Satan counterfeits the Bible, it makes the Bible look like man's book, not God's book. And what's taking place here is now Satan is seeking to counterfeit ministry, or at least these men. I don't find that Satan directed them. The Bible says they took upon them. It was their own idea. Hey, we'll do this too. In an effort to get the same attention, get the same... I don't know what all their motive was. They saw what Paul was doing and said, we can do it too. In so much, they used all the right words. They said all the right words. They didn't say in our own name. Listen to what these men did there. Vagabond Jews, they're wanderers. Exorcists, meaning exorcists are people that cast out demons and spells. You can cast a spell in or out. So they're exorcists. They're involved in witchcraft, the, the occult, if you would. Uh, by the way, let me just remind you what the Bible has to say about witchcraft, about wizards. God has no room for it. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, dabbling in the things of the devil. And so then that's what these men were. Exorcists took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus. Are they not using the right name? They are saying, here's what they said, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. What they said is, we want the power that Paul has, we want the impact that Paul has, we want the effect that he has. Are they not, let me just get some things in line here. Are they fighting the right foe? They are. They're opposing Satan. They're trying to cast a demon out of a man. Uh, they're trying to, to remove Satan. They are trying to get him out of his place. He's taking possession of a man. They are saying, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preacheth, we adjure you to come out. They are trying to cast the devil out. They're fighting against the right enemy. They're using the right name. They are not being disrespectful by the way they speak to Paul. So here's what I'm seeing. They want the fruit of legitimate power of God without actually having it without actually obtaining it by rightful means as far i can't find anywhere it says these men believe the gospel i don't find anywhere that they believe what paul was preaching but they wanted to have the fruit that he had in his life there are people that are trying to duplicate or replicate christian life but they've never been born again They've never received the Spirit of God by faith in Jesus Christ. There are those who are trying to duplicate the fruit of the Spirit in their life. They're trying to put it on, but there's somewhere the Spirit of God is speaking to them, and they are quenching and grieving and resisting, but they say, but I'll act like a Spirit-filled Christian, and that'll, that'll get her done. You and I cannot duplicate or replicate in the flesh what only God can do by the power of the Holy Spirit. It cannot be done. And when it is tried to be done, someone's going to get hurt. Young person, you can try to produce a Christian life without spending time in God's Word and without hiding it in your heart, but the best you can do is produce a fraud. You can try to produce a godly little life and overcome Satan in your life by going through the routines and repeating what your parents say. That will not accomplish the task. 
doesn't matter your religious surroundings. It doesn't matter the rote words you use, even if they're all the right words. You can pray in Jesus' name every time you want. But if your will is not surrendered to His will, and if the Spirit of God is not ruling in your life, you'll not have victory. The way to victory is surrender. Submission of one's will to God. There's no other way. I find nothing that says these men were submitted to God. I find they wanted the attention of victory. They wanted the, they wanted the, the accolades of victory, perhaps. They wanted to produce the ministry of Paul. But I ask you something. How did Paul have such power on his life? Had they gone through what Paul had gone through? Had they responded to Christ as Paul had responded to Christ? If you can cheaply say a few cheap words that are the right words and get the same fruit of a man who died to self on the road to Damascus and said, what wilt thou have me to do? Then that was a waste of his life to throw it all away for Christ's sake. If you can just say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preacheth, come out. There's no way to cheapen Christianity and it work. It's got to be the real thing. And if there's anything I can drive home tonight, that's the message. These men are deciding we're going to fight Satan, we're going to overcome Satan, and we're going to plug in the magic recipe. We're going to say the right words at the right time and do the right things, and all of a sudden, poof, we will be just like Paul. Satan will flee at our word. You remember when the disciples came back and they boasted to Jesus? They said, the devils, they were cast out at our word. Remember he sent the 70 out and they come back, they're all excited. And he says, you know, we, we, we cast them out in your name. And he said, rejoice not that the devils are subject unto you. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. You know what he's saying? Don't rejoice in the, in the powerful effects. You rejoice in a genuine position in, in God's family and having a genuine relationship with God. You rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And sometimes what we want is we want the fruit uh, of, of someone who's been consecrated to God. I think of this to try to drive this message home. Joshua chapter 17. The Ephraimites, I believe it was, came to their kinsman Joshua and said, You know what? There's a lot of us and we're growing and we need more room. We need more land. We need more place to live. Uh, would you give us another possession? And he said, Well, God gave you that mountain. Go up and get it. And they said, Well, there's chariots of iron. They mentioned the chariots that the enemy had. And he said, you know what? If you want that mountain, then get thee up. Go cut the wood. Go fight the battle and get it. You know what they wanted? They wanted the fruit of battle without ever having to fight. They wanted the fruit of labor without having to work. But it doesn't happen that way. Tonight, we see these seven sons of Sceva. They wanted the power of the Spirit of God without the presence of the Spirit of God. They wanted the power of the Spirit of God without allowing Him to fill them in their lives. So much of our religion, even, and I'll just say, let's just focus on independent Baptist churches, are what we have been able to replicate that looks like what the Spirit of God might produce were He ruling. We have replicated it, and may I say, in my generation at this time, we are paying the price. The immorality in our churches, the... Uh, the stuff that's hidden under rugs in our churches that's starting to come out. I didn't hear of that when I was a kid. When I, 25 years ago, you didn't hear of the scandals that we hear of today that are one after another and another and another. And I'm not throwing all independent Baptist churches under the rug. I'm an independent Baptist by conviction. I'm going to stay that way by God's grace because of what it stands for and what we stand on. But I'm saying we have tried to have the fruit of what only God can do by us by doing things for Him. 
The sons of Sceva are trying to do for God what God did by Paul. Does that make sense? They're trying to produce what man cannot produce. And they thought if they plugged in the right words at the right time, the right way, said the right names, they would get the right things done. God doesn't play politics and neither does the devil in that sense. You can't throw big names at the Satan and he'll trim. He said, look, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but I haven't got a clue who you are. You don't register on my importance scale. You've never approached God and gotten him to deal with me through prayer. I, I don't know who you are. The sons of Sceva were unknown to their enemy, which means they were not legitimate in that sense. And so then the perversion of the truth, these men tried to replicate uh, a powerful life uh, for the Lord, and it didn't work. It backfired on them. You read as you're going down through here, the Bible says, verse 14, and there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so, and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know. And Paul, I know, but who are ye? Now, get a hold of this. Their daddy was the chief priest. He didn't have a clue who they were. He held a very important religious position. The enemy didn't know who they were. They they weren't genuinely signed up as his foe. And so then it goes on, verse 15, and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, who are ye? But who are ye? Verse 16, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and did what? Overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that place, of that house, naked and wounded. I don't want you to miss this tonight. One way to have shame and damage on your life is to pretend the Christian life when it's not for real. To pretend you're saved when you've never been born again. To pretend that you're surrendered when in your heart you're still rebelling to pretend that you are yielded to God when you are really not and try to produce the fruit of the Christian life without the Christ of the Christian life ruling your life. That's what happened. And how they left? Naked. Nakedness in the Bible is always associated with shame. They ran out of there, everyone seeing what they really were. You with me? They were exposed for not what men thought they were, but what they really were. Nothing hidden. They were completely seen, nothing to hide. Shame was on them. That's why it mentions they left that house naked. When you and I try to fight spiritual battles in our power, we'll leave naked and wounded. The man leaped on them, stripped them, and they ran out of that house naked and wounded. I mean, no, I mean, not. I want to be handle this text correctly, but there's a lot of people today spiritually in this state naked. And wounded, having tried to face spiritual opposition without the power of God, Satan uses something in their life, leaps on them, it overcomes them because they have no power to oppose it, because they're not relying on God. They're just relying on magical words or some. You know, we we, we think this. Just give me the recipe. Just give me the recipe. Tell me the, the the little things to check off. I'll do them, and I'll be a powerful Christian. That's not the way it works. God is living. His spirit is living. He is working. He speaks to our hearts. We must cooperate with him for him to give us his strength in our lives. And so then uh, many today have been overcome by a tool of Satan in their lives, stripped down until they're exposed for what's really in their hearts. The man finally sees what, you know what? These are men of honor. Their dad's a chief priest. They're men of honor. Not when they leave this house. 
they were no match for the adversary. When he opposed them, they fell over like a domino because they did not have the aid of God's Spirit in their lives. And so then they left naked and, what's the next thing? Wounded. They were damaged. I don't know what he did to them. I don't know if he bit them. I don't know if he punched their teeth out. I don't know if he blacked their eyes or all the above. You know, I, I came across this text because I was searching the word wounded. You ever heard of the wounded warriors program in the military? How many wounded Christians are there? Now, often, you know who we first blame for wounded Christians? Other Christians. I met a man on my last visit today, and he told me they've probably not been in church in eight or nine years. Claims to be a Christian. Whether that's a genuine thing or not, I don't know. But I wasn't in his house five minutes without him just unloading on me with some level of displeasure with me. I never met the man for why he's had problems with pastors and churches and backbiting and Oh, and I said, I have no tolerance for it. In the midst of it, he cursed. <laughs> I have no tolerance for that. Man with bitterness in his heart. Braden remembered him from a year ago. He said, that man seemed bitter to me. That was a year ago. There's a wounded man. Now, what we would say is, what kind of church did he go, who'd go to? Who wounded him? Maybe he tried to encounter Satan in the power of the flesh. As Peter did on the night of Jesus' crucifixion. Peter said, I got this. Prayer? I need not prayer. Got him, didn't it? You know what, Pete, you know what happened to Peter the night of the crucifixion? He got exposed for what Jesus knew he was. And you know what? The Bible said he went out and wept bitterly. You know why? Because he's wounded. He's wounded. The Bible says a wounded spirit who can bear. You know what? Listen to me. And I especially, please, young people, my kids, your kids, I want sin will wound you. It'll wound you. It'll shame you and it'll wound you. As your pastor, I preach against sin because I love you. It'll wound you. Now, by the way, God can heal those wounds, but the scars do remain. You know what? What wounded our Savior, by the way? What put wounds in his hands and his feet? Sin. His wounds healed, but his scars are still there. Are they not? As a reminder of the price tag of sin. These men, trying to overcome Satan in their own ability... And by a fleshly formula. You know what I could tell you tonight? You know what? You be sure and you pray this little prayer 13 times a day. And you read this little text 22 times a day. And you'll be guaranteed spiritual victory. I'd be lying to you. Here's what you do when you see something in the Bible. And the Spirit of God says, now that's for you. You submit and say, Lord, here am I. You do with me whatever you want and mean it. And if you can't mean it from the heart, don't say it. But these men trying to fabricate or duplicate spiritual strength and victory were shamed and were wounded. And so they left the house that way. They're defeated, they're embarrassed, and they're wounded. All three of the above. Now, what's the fruit of that? You know, I'll tell you what the fruit of seeing the fall of brothers and sisters or people that claim to be brothers and sisters but are not seeing people who come up against spiritual opposition and get defeated, get overcome, get stripped and wounded, what it's made me do is focus on, then what's the truth? I remember when I was a teenager, I had a family member in my life, and they got caught in serious sin. And I remember the consequences and the fallout of that. 
Not only was this loved one naked and wounded, some of us were wounded with them in their defeat. And I remember, this text comes alive for me, I remember the fear of God sweeping over me. Because here's what I knew. This loved one had ignored the word of God of their own admission, had bypassed commandments such as honor thy father and thy mother, uh, lie not one to another. This person was living a duplicitous life, was singing in church and was appearing to be one thing here, but living a, a side life that no one could see. But one night God ripped the whole thing open and exposed it. One of the worst memories in my human life. Painful but one of the best seasons in my life because it was upon that I said, if I respond to God's word the same way he did, I'm going to end the same way. And God swept over my soul with fear. It made me go, oh, this is real. Oh, this is not just a bunch of blabberjaw preachers trying to get me to behave a certain way. This thing is real with real consequences. The Spirit of God really does work. And I know He's been speaking to me. And I'm going to tell you from that day, I remember being on my carport as a 14-year-old boy and my mind spinning thinking, Oh, boy, I don't, want to, I don't want to go through this again. I don't want to end the same way. I remember talking to a buddy of mine uh, that was involved in the situation. We both knew about some things and said, I don't know, but I don't like the idea of this. God rattled my cage through another person being naked and wounded by ignoring the word of God. Got a question. Let's just back up in the story just a little bit. Had the seven sons of Sceva heard the word of God? Every Jew and every Gentile in Asia had heard it. Were they believers? They were not. They were pretenders. They were trying to put forward something that wasn't so. And they left naked and wounded, and so it is today. And the effect is intended to be the same. God will not step in and honor fraudulence. I don't find that anywhere in Scripture. And so then we come to our final final point. We've seen the preaching of the truth, verses 8 through 12. The perversion of the truth, verses 13 through 16. And then verses 17 through 20, the power of the truth. And this was, what's the next word? Known. Their defeat was broadcast. This was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. The same people that heard the word of God heard what happens to people who reject the word of God. Heard what happens when you try to duplicate what only God can do through faith without faith. And everyone heard, said, this is what happened. Did you hear about Sceva's kids? They went in the other day, seven of those boys. It's, look, it's seven on one. They had the numbers on their side. Did they not? Look, we can all agree we're going to fight the devil. We'd come up with a plan how to fight him. But if we don't do it God's way, he that striveth for mastery, if he's going to be crowned, he must strive how? Lawfully. We've got to play by the rules. We've got to go by God's principles. There's no other way. You can't ignore the principles of God and expect victory. Not as an individual, not as a family, not as a church. It cannot work. You and I cannot oppose the truth and get the fruit of obedience to the truth. And so, verse 17, this was known. There's revelation to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And what happened? And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. 
And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Last time I checked, 50,000 pieces of silver is a lot of money. You compare that. Jesus was sold by Judas for 30 pieces. That was enough to buy a piece of ground. Now you take 30, multiply it times 1,000, add 20,000 more, and you got how much they had in value when it came to the sin in their lives. These are believers. These are believers that had not made a clean cut with the world yet. You know what happens sometimes to get Christians serious about God? Someone who doesn't know the Lord, someone who's not living by faith has to be defeated, and it wakes everybody else up and say, Whoa! This matter is real. I better take the things of God seriously in my life and take make a clean break with what God saved me out of. Can I preach straightforward to you tonight for just a minute? Some of you may and probably do have things in your life that are still part of your old life and there needs to be a clean break. I'm done with my rotten music. I'm done with the filth of the world that I used to live in. I'm done toying around with sin. I'm done. Burn it. That's the attitude we must have towards sin if God's going to use us. You can't play around with it and hide it in your corner in the back of your mind or recesses of your heart. What happened is Satan had to have a victory for God's people to wake up and say, He's real, but Christ is on the throne. And the fear of God swept over. The truth prevailed. Jesus is the Christ because look what happens to men who pretend to have Him but don't. Meaning there was clear-cut evidence that he's a living person, that he was absent in their lives. And their victory or their defeat is what brought that to light. And so then says this is known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts. Today, that's Ouija boards. It's It's... Witchcraft, it's wizardry, it's this guy. You curious hearts brought their books together and burned them before all men. You ever talk to somebody that God dealt with about their worldly music? So they're listening to rock and roll. Uh, my generation, you guys can associate with this tapes and CDs, right? What they had is hard copies of this stuff. And I've met people that have invested thousands in their CDs, two, three thousand dollars in their CD collection. And God began to say, that is connected with Satan. And you're now a believer in Christ. Now, what are you going to do? Somebody help me. What is the struggle of soul for the person about those CDs? What's the struggle? Do you know what I spent on that? I'll tell you something. When the fear of God comes on a person, you say, you know what? It doesn't matter what I spent, what it costs. If it's for Christ, I give it up. I want to tell you something. You're not going to hear this text preached in the average evangelical church today because it puts too much fear in people, too much clear-cut, you know, anymore. It's almost like we are told as preachers it's out of bounds to tell people that they need to make decisions that affect their everyday life or you're a legalist. And what that does is keeps our heartstrings attached to the world. That's what it does. That kind of preaching is perverse. Anything that keeps your heartstrings attached to a sinful, wicked world is perverse. Now, the Bible says, love not the world, neither things are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And anything that keeps me clinging to sin is not of God. Amen? Well, then, what happens is there was preaching of the truth, persistent preaching of the truth, until finally some guys said, you know, we can do that too. 
We can do that too. How much counterfeiting of the things of God do we have in our day? And how much defeat do we have in our day? It's because of counterfeiting. But you know what else? Uh, Brother Andy King, a preacher we listen to from Wisconsin, he says, you ever seen a counterfeit $7 bill? Zeke, you ever seen one? Counterfeit $7 bill? You know why not? Because there's not a real $7 bill. <laughs> Anything that's counterfeited has the real thing. There is counterfeit religion because there's true or pure religion undefiled. What is pure religion undefiled before God and the Father? To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from this world. You know what? When God moved in this situation by letting these men do their thing, Satan defeated them. It brought the fear of God on God's people. Again, many that believed. These are not unbelievers. Many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found that 50,000 pieces of silver. Here's verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and, now the same word is used that was used against the sons of Sceva, and prevailed. Meaning God's word had been opposed by hard necks. God's word had been opposed by counterfeit religion. But God's word still did its work. Saved souls, brought men to faith in Christ, saved souls, purified lives. Is that not what God said the grace of God teaches us? You know what I think one of the reasons is God is letting... By the way, it doesn't matter whether it's among Catholics who are false religion from the word go or among Baptists who have counterfeited. How many scandals have come up about religion in the last 15 years? I believe one of the reasons the Lord lets this come to the light where it's known. How many, how many places in America is it known that these scandals are taking place? All over. You know what it makes me do? Whatever those people had, I don't want. I want the real thing. I want the real thing. I don't want the counterfeit. I don't want to pretend that we're holy. I want to be holy. I don't want to pretend to be filled with the Spirit. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I don't want to simulate or simulate soul winning. I want to win souls. I don't want to make it look like we're winning souls. I want to do it. I don't want to pack a building with bodies. I want to see people come because they love God's Word. And I want to see souls genuinely saved. You know what has stirred that in my heart? Watching counterfeit and defeat. Makes me says, that's not it. I want the real thing. How about you tonight? Do we want to produce a church that has all the trappings and looks like God is here, but He's not within a hundred miles? Or do we want the real thing? I want the real thing. Not only because I don't want to leave naked and wounded, but because I'm truly a believer. I want Christ to be what? What was He? The Bible says He was magnified. So mightily was Christ magnified. Meaning... Through their failure and the victory over sin in the lives of God's believers, it revealed who Christ truly is. That He's not a name to be thrown around like magic. He's the living Son of God. We don't throw on the end of our prayer, in Jesus' name I pray, amen, to get special magic with God. It's because we have confidence in Christ and not in ourselves. That's why we pray in His name. That's what gives us an uh, an access to God in the first place. Now tonight, the question would be, if I could, by the way, let me just make this final point. Seven of them against one, as we said earlier, they had amassed a number of people where the odds should have been in their favor and they should be able to obtain a victory. Seven against one. There's no way, whether it's in <laughs> having a multitude or outnumbering the enemy, the only way to overcome Satan is have he that is greater than him in me. 
and letting him work in and through me as he wishes to do. I don't know how God's applying this tonight. I know that's what he wants preached. As far as I can, can know in my conscience, that's what he gave. I believe each of us will know why it's what he gave. Now tonight, I don't know about you, I hope if you're not disinterested in counterfeiting the Christian life that tonight may cause you to say, I'm not interested in that. I remember a season in my life, right before I surrendered my will to God completely, before I did what some of these people did. I brought some things and both figuratively, and I probably remember literally, burned some stuff. (laughs) Got some things behind me because I was a believer. But what brought me to that point is I thought I'm either all the way in or all the way out. I'm either the demon-possessed man or I'm on Paul's side and the Lord's side, but I don't want to be the sons of Sceva in between. Playing church, playing games, but not being the real deal. Amen? Tonight, let me say this, in or out, hot or cold, either all, genuinely believe in Christ, let him use your life as he wishes Quit church, throw your Bible in the garbage can and go live for the world and the devil and let him do what he will with you. In or out.